2: Sorcerer wizard powers the engine of
1: science, seeking to forever alter the sacred balance, traveling on effervescent balls of summer fire.
0: This week, Cloud Atlas.
1: The year eighteen forty nine, in the year nineteen thirty six, in the year nineteen seventy three, in the year twenty twelve, in the year twenty one forty four, and in the year twenty three twenty one, stuff happened.
0: Lots of stuff happened. Uh, yeah, this is this is a movie where all the stuff happens. Today is Cloud Atlas. Uh, this is Matt. This is Luke. Welcome to our sci fi sanctuary. Um, this movie, yeah, it's it's. It, it, it sits with you. It's, it's a good subconscious movie. There's lots to talk about. So we brought a guest to talk about it. Um, I came his way hearing his many great appearances on the higher side chats podcast. Um, he has the book starships, which I, I read a couple of years ago and that is definitely a fun one to get through. And he's got his own, uh, room soup website. And I believe has some podcasting of his own. So hello, Gordon white.
2: Hello. Thank you for having me.
0: And, uh, like like I said before, we hit the record. We got you in because of this is a relatively magical movie, and I had to explain it to my parents. I I, I was on Skype with my parents. I was telling them who was coming up, and I was like, "Yeah, we're doing Cloud Atlas, and and uh, you know we we're trying to attach that with a, a magical guest." My parents were like, "Oh oh, what kind of tricks does he do?" Like no, no, not that, not not that kind of magic. This is like real magic. This is like, like you know, like you know, quantum probability, and you try and you know, like nudge the probabilities, and you're like, yeah, but can he do good tricks? Is he going to do tricks on the podcast? I'm like no, you don't get it. So, uh, Gordon, let me give you a chance to, uh, you know, explain what what magic is in the definition of today's podcast.
2: Sure, I should learn at least one trick for that kind of stuff, shouldn't I? Uh, um trick. So magic. My definition of it has changed somewhat over the years, but the easiest and beginning definition is that it is a culture specific description of human natural human capacities that in the last 300 years in the West um, we have decided we don't have. But every other culture, everywhere and everyone, including our own up until 300 years ago, understood that we could. That includes things like. Um, talking to the spirits of the dead, that includes some ability to see the future, that includes some ability to traffic with spirits to influence outcomes, whether that's from a hunting perspective or luck or love or so on. Now, the majority of these things have been demonstrated in one form or another parapsychologically, things like telephone telepathy and so on. So magic for me is a culture-specific definition of capacities that we experience. 95% of people in a culture that don't think they're real experience them, uh and and that's what it is so that's the magic that isn't tricks that's um two-thirds of americans have uh or understand that they've had contact with a deceased loved one 90 percent of people have had telephone telepathy all the rest of it and that's magic
0: and you know for me like i'd say until about 2016 i I was smart enough to listen to the small voices and go mostly in the right directions a few and when i didn't i got a very loud and clear um you know, response from the universe that you not. This is not not right. Um, since then, you know, of course, I've, I've tried to really focus on the actual thing. You know, focusing on my own mind and how I actually like you know interact with the universe, and it's become a little more real. And uh Luke, what what is magic for you? It could all be
1: tricks. That's fine, but. <laughs> Uh, well, the big question, I'm thinking about this for the first time because you didn't warn me that's what I guess was into. <laughs> <laughs> I told you it's magician, man. <laughs> um, uh, this is one of those things I always say, when I lived in the West, I didn't believe in these things. And since I came to Japan, just the way my life has gone has made me a little more curious. I guess like, that's what yeah.
0: Japan did for me too. So, Yeah, <laughs> when I'm here, I feel yeah.
1: like, you know... I make a wish to a shrine it does kind of come true and when i'm in the mountains i feel like yeah if i do leave my five yen at the shrine at the start of the mountain i'm going to be safe and just little things like that and just i think what i hated in the west was the the very prescribed religion i never liked sitting in a big church and being told how the universe worked whereas the japanese their relationship with religion is much more personal because it's the country with eight million gods and every tree and every rock and every animal is their own little has just a little bit of magic. And I find it much easier to touch that than it is to touch some, you know, almighty.
2: Well, so interestingly, that's one of the reasons why my definition of magic has changed over the years, because magic, in some respect, only exists in broadly speaking, European or or Christian history, because it exists as, as a negative imprint, like the, the two faces vase image of the rise of uh, monotheism, because European culture came out of um, classical Greece and Rome, both of which, especially the Romans, were like suspicious of magic because it could upend the empire. So astrologers and soothsayers and so on, they didn't like, and, and Christianity kind of uh, absorbed all those laws. So the idea that christians are anti-magic is true but a lot of that came from rome and nevertheless we we built or came from a culture broadly speaking that has a singular understanding of truth which is there is this one book which is true and there are other books which have some true things to say in relation to it and then outside of that there isn't so magic is all the other stuff that happens outside of it but that doesn't that hasn't been the experience of of a living cosmos, basically in in any other cosmology. So, whilst you will have shamans or priests or priestesses or abbots or whatever clever men um, around the world, it they have they're sort of in service of and in relation to certain beings in the context of a living universe. So, funnily enough, magic is is the description in uh, in a negative form of stuff that you would find normally because. Japan's a good example, so you pay your five yen um, to go up the mountain, thank you, mountain spirit, and so on. They wouldn't consider that magic. That's just what you do when you walk up a mountain. So to some extent, there like there is no magic in Japan because what they're doing wouldn't be called that. But if I do that here, if I which I do obviously not necessarily leave yen, but when I leave offering offerings to the mountain spirits when I go up my mountains that we would consider magic so it's interesting isn't it like it's it's a behavior that's universal but because of how the west developed ideologically we we almost have a pathologized term for a behavior that no one else thinks is pathological
1: Mm -hmm. thou shalt not suffer a witch to live
2: (laughs) used to be poisoner but same diff
1: ah so i'm going to dovetail that
0: a little bit into today's movie um we often talk about you know the first time we came across the movie for me the first I, I saw it in a theater i was already living in japan when it came out and uh it was just uh i i lived near the theater not as close as close as close as um luke lives now where the theaters across the street but a nice five minute walk and i saw cloud atlas and, and I, I loved it i i did start when students that's what's your favorite movie i i'd often tell them cloud atlas mm. um in part just because i'm like you don't have to choose a genre like every genre is in this movie you want sci-fi it's there you want to like a quirky comedy it's already there you want like some historical fiction it's there it's like everything's there already and it wasn't until a few years ago i started watching it and you know i'd already thought about the whole reincarnational aspect but that was kind of like a um, film gimmick but the more i watch it the more i'm like no that's that's the crux of the film that's you know that's the actual core here everything we're seeing and experiencing in the film is the uh the bling, so to speak, just the outside face. And uh, Luke, this was your first time, yeah?
1: Yeah, so somehow I never knew this was a Wachowski's film. Well, it's only halfway one. <laughs> yeah, but had I known that when it came out, I probably would have been more interested in seeing it. So my impression when this film released was, wow, that looks super wanky, I can't be bothered. <laughs> and I never watched it until last night when I watched it for this podcast. Um, but yeah, it's, it's much more fun than I was expecting. Like, I, I genuinely quite enjoyed this film. And I guess maybe because I'm still on my first watch, the, the reincarnation aspect didn't did feel a bit more gimmicky.
2: I don't think it's reincarnational. What do you mean by that?
1: None is, well, we could look at it that way. or uh, th- That would be just,
0: I, I guess, that's the most easily... Well, there are definitely right. moments
1: where they seem to... They say, like, oh, I know this already. I know you already. And it seems like they're remembering these past, whether it's incarnations of themselves or just these past events, they are somehow Mm -hmm. remembering. I
0: I have my own little um, actual definition of reincarnation. I I could plop it out now or wait till we get a little deeper, but... uh... OK, I guess I'll plop. Well, actually, I'll pop out a little later because, uh, Gordon, I'd like to hear your first experience uh, with this particular film, because it's prominently featured on on your website. I saw it like at the top. I was like, yes, that's the movie we talk about.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this is either my favorite film or it is the film that most closely resembles how I think the universe works. So and when I say it's either of those two. Um, There are some films like, you know what it's like picking your favorite film is it goes in and out of like whatever mood you're in. So it's either this or kind of like the entirety of the Lord of the Rings films for different reasons. But so it's either of them. But this looks more like how I think the universe actually works. And that's why I think it's a magical film. And my, my first experience of it wasn't in the cinema. I was living in London still at the time. And... Um, we were pirating with Gay Abandon. So we watched it with. Um, so I was living with people who worked in film, which was useful uh, at the time. I think I was a Discovery Channel still. I can't remember. I was in TV and my flatmate was in film and theater. So it was kind of a good audience to watch, not just because. It, it Reputationally, it had come with, oh, this is patchy. And I'm like, I'm going to watch it because I did know it was a um, Wachowski production. And I'm like, I'm going to watch it anyway. And I'd half read the novel beforehand. It's kind of tied up with my origin story of London. Um And so we watched it and I finished it. and I said, I think I loved it. And I turned to my flatmate and she says, I think that was a masterpiece. And then we kind of um rebutted, although there was no one else in the room who disagreed, where some of the kind of, low rent or low resolution criticisms of the production came from because i think it could only have been a wachowski film and i think people miss that when they look at some of the um production criticism around um masks and makeup and all that kind of stuff
0: so we'll get a little deeper into the film itself um like like i said i'm actually going to try and um Due to the, the you know sort of the half-remembered dream nature of the film, I'm just going to wing it today. Though I, I have brought up the uh, the names just to make sure I'm sort of getting the, yeah, the names right. So I'm, I'm slightly cheating, I guess. But uh, let's let's get that rolling.
2: Cosmic rope revolving, or fractal patterns play in scale, life rendered in dimensions curling, iridescent vapor trails. In
0: 1849 in the Pacific Islands, American lawyer Adam Ewing is heading home to San Francisco. He wants to get back to his wife and family, but he has a parasitic tropical worm possibly um, infecting him. Um, Before leaving the island, he sees a slave whipped. And once he's on the boat with his doctor in tow, the same slave becomes a stowaway. Now he becomes a boon. He's a seasoned shipsman and actually earns a place on the crew. The doctor is a fiend slowly poisoning the doctor to steal his valuables and all of that. The Shipman eventually takes out the doctor, saving the lawyer who then becomes an abolitionist. Fast forward to 1936, where dilettante young composer, Robert Frobisher is being kicked out of yet another apartment, excuse me, a hotel bill that he's run out on. Fortunately, or unfortunately, he falls under the wing of master composer, Vivian Ayers and begins transcribing his ideas. Frobisher has his own idea with the Cloud Atlas sextet, which Ayers tries to steal from him. This becomes a murderous ploy as Frobisher accidentally shoots Ayers and ends his own life, but not before the sextet is at least published and released to the world. Fast forward to San Francisco in 1973, where journalist Louisa Ray is following a hot lead on the local nuclear power plant. It seems a report on this plant has deemed it is prone to accident and could result in a catastrophic explosion and or meltdown. She deals with the hoods of the corporate masters running to and fro on those steep streets of San Francisco losing various copies of the report, but finally exposing the corporate beast for what it is. Fast forward to London in 2012, where Timothy Cavendish, after a long life of unsuccessful publishing, has finally found a hit with author Dermot Hoggins, who's written Knuckle Sandwich, a story of life in the mob. He's a little too real though. Murders, a critic of his, And ends up in prison. Cavendish, meanwhile, ends up in his own prison in a retirement home with locked doors and a sadistic nurse. Him and his fellow retirees do find an escape plan and blast out of that uh, retirement home in a Range Rover. Fast forward to neo in 2144, where a fabricant worker, Son Mi, is doing what all fabricant workers of her type do and serving folks food. She begins to become conscious, though, and an agent of the union breaks her out, teaching her what actually happens to the fabricants. Soylent Greens made out of fabricants in this case. And as she ascends, she begins to expand her philosophy, getting out her words before the entire operation is taken down from gunfire by the government. Fast forward to 23, 21, it's the big island of Hawaii after the fall. Zachary feeling guilty that he allowed his family to die in attack from a tribe Saunders through his villager life tending to goats. When one of the prescience coming from a far off island with high technology comes, she wants Zachary's help in finding an old observatory from which they can send a message to off-world colonies and hopefully save the remnants of the dying human race. They make their way to that observation. The barbarians take out pretty much everybody But the prescient and Zachary escape to a brave new world. Okay, that was that was pretty scatterbrained. We'll see if I do it
1: again or not. I'll listen to it, but uh... <laughs> it wasn't so much scatterbrained. It was just long. But there's nothing you could do about that. <laughs> I was trying to keep it short, man. Yeah, I know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but then again, the film's pretty long. It is almost three hours, but it's it's a well-deserved three hours. Um,
1: Everything's three hours these days, anyway.
0: Yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> uh, for this one, I guess we'll talk a little about little bit about the actors first because you know this this is not a hollywood production by the way yeah it's nope.
1: one of the most expensive independent films ever made yeah apparently.
0: technically it's a german production that's where uh, tom Twickner comes in as the other director and um ah. oh. I, I i've forgotten which one who directs what's well, obviously the Wachowskis do the hardcore
1: sci-fi stuff and i at the end it did actually list like these right? years but i forgot i just yeah i've scrambled that in my brain but uh yeah i think most of the historical ones were the other fella and the Wachowskis did the Futurist.:
0: Yeah, after I watched this one, I did go and watch um Twinkner's The International and eh, didn't like it that much, but okay. oh well. <laughs> uh, of course, the well, the biggest star here, I guess, is pretty much you know a roll of the dice, but I, I guess we're oh, well uh, yeah, to...
1: because <laughs> before I watched it, I'd assumed that like the fountain, it would be the same principal cast at each time, which it is, but each time period a different one of the cast is the star. Right. It's not like five different Tom Hanks stories where he plays different roles. Only one of them is like a Tom Hanks story and then he's like a villain in this one and a bit part in that one. So that was interesting. And I think it stopped the film. That's why it didn't feel wanky and boring. Mm.
2: No, the the casting is very um, precise and deliberate. And the the closest corollary corollary would be something like Angels in America, where... um, the actors are deliberately picked in each of the sort of six stories um, to show a couple of different things, right? This is why I don't think it's reincarnational, I think. And it's, and it's there in Sunmi's Our Lives Are Not Our Own, um, where the story is a relational one. This is why it's, it's animist rather than reincarnational and, and a through line is the birthmark you mentioned the star the comet but the um if you pick the character in each of the time zones that has the birthmark beginning with adam ewing that this person influences the next person so it's not a soul moving through life it's the fact that um, from each crime and every kindness we birth our future so adam ewing's novel influences Robert Frobisher, which gives us the um, Cloud Atlas sextet, which then kind of moves the story into Louisa Ray. And Lu- the story of Louisa Louisa Ray is read by Timothy Cavendish um, on his way to the asylum kind of place. And the movie of that is what influences Son Me, And the story of Son Me is what influences the far future, um, again, with um, Zachary, right? And so each of these people has the the birthmark, and then, of course, the film ends with that comet in the sky. So it's not reincarnational. It's better than that. It's that um, the consequences of cruelty and ty- and tyranny, as well as kindness, propagate um, throughout the universe. And that's why the, the filmmaking choice of, and it's really European in the sense that the actors are... Um, I chose them because they're good actors, and in many cases, like, um, have worked with the Wachowskis before, obviously, Hugo Weaving, etc. Like, this. half the cast is from the Matrix films, right? Um, and But the reason you kind of have them moving around in each story is to show that it's relationality rather than one person through time. And I think the film does that better, right? Because it's not just... So that people don't completely lose the mission, you have to have this trajectory of the the birthmark. So there is a kind of forward trajectory in time, but it's not just the story of um, increasing cruelty and increasing um, kindness propagating forwards through time because there are actually moments where and the film does this really well where you do get that retroactive enchantment right so it kind of swings on the Cloud atlas sextet which you kind of mentioned frobisher writes in 36 however vivian airs in the film comes in and says i had a dream about this monstrous restaurant underground in the future where everyone Mm -hmm. had the same face and some music was playing and that actually comes into part of how Frobisher invents the cloud atlas sextet and so it's not, nec- it's not just that he invented it, but he could only have come up with that living with Vivian Ayers. and he would not have come up with it if that dream hadn't happened. And you get little hints of that, right? So the other example is when Louisa Ray and Joe are fleeing from um, the Hugo Weaving assassin in, in 70s San Francisco, and they go through that, um, that, that sweatshop where he, he kills the, um, the Mexican lady's dog. But if you, when they run through the sweatshop, you see that they're all making little Papa songs toys oh, yeah, in the yeah, 70s. Yeah. So there are all these moments where it's not just the trajectory of, um, oh, I'm really taken by Adam Ewing's story and that in- inspires a cloud atlas, ext- tick, 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 tick through time. It's that through each crime and every kindness, every single person in the universes is how we birth our future. So it's, it's animist rather than reincarnational. And that's why it's a, it's a purely magical film, because what it does is redraws the boundary of action and morality to you, to your life, to not being rude to that person behind you, or to turn a kind face rather than an unkind face. And, and I just, you get that in, in every part of the production. I think that is, a, it's, it's a masterwork. I, I can't think of another film that does that quite so well.
0: Actually, I want to th- okay. I want to throw out Matt's Matt's theory of reincarnation because, um, yeah, I, I'm not just when I say that I'm not just meaning the like life to the next life to the next life. I don't even think I've read this anywhere. I just kind of came to this conclusion myself that and, and we can go animism and, and say you know um, this this awesome what is this Mario lunchbox? No, it's got my tissues in it. Oh, it's got your tissues. Okay, <laughs> uh, well, we can even like take it down to that that. There is no 100% match. You're, this life is it. You know, you're you're finished after this. 100%. 100% is important because 99%, there is going to be something or someone that does share that much of sort of your, you know, essence. You know, you can, you can spurn Adolf Hitler, rightly so, as much as you want, but there's going to be that one or 2% of yourself that was in common with that because a little bit of a percent of yourself is going to be in common with, anything you meet in the universe. So I do just want to throw out that, that's sort of my purse. When I say reincarnation, I, I should yeah. probably define it that way.
2: Well, cause they do kind of, they address it in a way. <clears throat> so it, it clearly exists in a magical universe rather than a religious one, in a sense that there isn't necessarily a God. And in fact, one of the, you can make the case that the film in particular is a story of how a universe Given a sufficient amount of cruelty, will generate a Jesus anyway, like without it being a god, right? Because you you sort of have the the parallels between um, Adam Ewing and, and his wife, because he's the son-in-law of a um, of a slaver. And and the fact that that love story of, of Tilly and Adam is there with like Hijo and, and Son Mi in and this is coming back to the actors because it's the same actors for both of them. So some of the stories are in particular resonance, but Son Mi gets to say to the archivist, "If I care to imagine death, it's uh, one door as one door closes, another one opens. So it's not even." Um, The the question is explicitly posed in the film, is this a story about life after death or just rewards or doing a good thing so that you get to go to heaven? And Sonmi says something just really boss, which is, if I care to imagine death. So it's the the afterlife components of it are immaterial to the core of the statement, which is like by each crime and every kindness, we birth our future. And it's almost like taking the, the, um, the reward punishment off the table entirely. And in that sense, it's, um, it's not even a comic story. It's, um, it's a, yeah, it's a trans temporal relational, um, poem i guess of just like literally backwards and forwards through time being a dick makes the universe worse
0: and um yeah i guess we do watch old tom hanks become less and less of a dick as time goes on in this movie
2: but yeah that's one of them for sure and it's like the casting of it i think is is sort of good if you watch it but also and this is this comes back to the fact that it went you know, made by what turned out to be, you know, two trans women and, and a German uh, author is people were, would complain. And it's just a, a really shitty take that some of the mask work um, so that you end up having uh, European uh, European origin characters playing Koreans and vice versa and so on. But the whole effing point of the film is that they are supposed to look kind of familiar. That's literally the point. Yeah. That in each of these stories, they're supposed to be like, as as Louisa says, like I, th- I feel like I know you, and I feel like I've heard this before. It's that eerie. This is, in some sense, all one story, and so of course they're going to have to look um, familiar. Do you know, you're, you're actually going to have to kind of see through the mask because that's actually the point. So like people have made criticisms of, of some of the masks and, 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 and um, costuming and you think, what were you watching? What film were you watching? It was literally about that being, and besides if you didn't do that, you wouldn't have the, the singular joy of watching Elrond himself play this enormous violent nurse, which is just super fun.
1: Yep, I mean, Hugo Weaving has for a long time been one of the all time villain actors. Oh. And he gets to play every kind of villain you can think of <laughs> in this film. And yeah, that nurse was like, like is Hugo Weaving just actually Satan in this? Because by the end of it, he's like a magical goblin on the side of a rock. No, George. Well, <laughs>
2: yeah, well, so that's interesting because it yeah. does um one of the things it's sort of about is the aonics of religion mm-hmm. and, and and deep time. So it's not just the multidimensionality of time. It can do time scales really competently the story itself was sort of 400 to 500 years long um but of course there's the picking up the beginning and the end of it so the influences that came for adam ewing to turn him into who he was and then at the end with like old zachary on another planet so it's it's kind of grabbing a snapshot of the universe but you get this is sort of what i mean about the cosmos can birth a jesus even without god intervening You get the aionics of religion where that sense of um, fear and separation um, and and fear of of being there for other people can be externalized as this being. Because the old Georgie um, Zachary story is really lovely. You recall at the beginning of the film, Zachary chickens out. Um, and, and saves his own skin by hiding when the um, the cannibals come and kill his brother-in-law and nephew or whatever that uh, that kid was. And that is the exact same uh, place where the reverse happens, where he and a child are in danger. And it's a, and then it's the Halle Berry character. So it's Merinim who stands up from the same rock and saves him. And it's this kind of, and there's old Georgie, um, in the story, and, and it's why it's an aionics of religion thing is that at that point in the timeline, in the far future, they think Sonmi is this Jesus figure and 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 this being, so they've kind of externalized, and it doesn't make it false, but they've come into a different relation to the idea of um, our lives are not our own, and it's, it's much more of an externalized one. And it kind of gives you this indication of where things, of how we can turn the life of someone like the Buddha into what we turn it into It's really, really sophisticated stuff because it doesn't invalidate the um, the, the kind of cosmic nature of it, uh, and it, it does that by by playing so uh, confidently. I think with time,
0: It's like what Sunmi actually did, I you know, is actually more impressive than the deification because she had to, uh, you know, slug her way through all the samsara and still made this influence, of course, you know, 200 years down the line, it's just, oh, she was a magical figure. There was no samsara, but of course there was, you know. Um, yeah. I, I'm fascinated by the idea that if there was a actual Jesus, he, he was very likely like a revolutionary, not, uh, I mean, like a, you know, with with right. sword in hand, you know.
2: <laughs> and it would, but it also would have happened in the, if there was a physical person who was like that. And if not, there were people like it. It happened in the context of an untenable political environment so like overtaxation of the empire and and the fact that in judea and even alexandria people are being ruled by foreigners and and it's just not um cosmically something needs to happen to adjust to the to change the cruelty and um louisa has that um what was it you have to do whatever you can't not do
1: i saw I thought, oh, that's going to break Matt's brain because Matt can't handle double negatives. <laughs> <Is that laughs> I, wrote?
0: I wrote that in my notes.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> that like, that works as, that's what Son Mi did, right? So there wasn't actually a, th- this wasn't a plan to take over um, unanimity. That's not what the union did. She destroyed the, um, well, she, actually, it does get destroyed. It's not as clear in the film. Um, but the, the recycling ship, um, for uh, so the, the soil and green recycling ship, right um, is destroyed because that that has to happen. like you have to do whatever you can't not do. It's like that must be destroyed. And, and that cost her her life and it cost Hygeri's life and, and all the rest of it. But if that hadn't happened, then the rest of the story wouldn't have gone on. And again it plays with that that sense of place and time unevenly that when she broadcasts that message, it's from, the um the ruined big island um kind of like control room uh, communications room that um zachary and meronim go to at the end of the film uh, completely so it, that same they were literally in the room where she sends that message when zachary finds out that it was a person who sent that message rather than a goddess and that kind of t- that's the the loop back in or the trajectory of it because the ship that Adam Ewing was on was called the prophetess. So you begin with the prophetess and you kind of end with the prophetess and it's this sort of story of it through.
0: thing that you know i, I don't want to get too much into the book versus the movie but the the book basically i actually like the structure of the movie better just jumping Thank around you. everywhere yeah. um yeah. but one thing you know the book obviously can add a little more philosophical detail here and there and it's, it's revealed in the book that union is simply the controlled opposition of united yeah. enemy and um and she knows that she knows she's been shown these things to get a response for her but it's like she's like it doesn't matter about all these politics actually i do need to make these statements and i know i'll be killed after i make these statements and yeah in, in the book she's like yeah i got arrested right after i finished uh she got time three weeks to actually write some books and not just 18 minutes to make a speech in the book but uh you know she she was like i knew the day i was finished with that you know my, my i was on borrowed time i'd be arrested any time
2: yeah <clears throat> And and I, th- I agree. I think the structure of the film, it's one of those examples, and it doesn't mean that the book is bad. I read the book unevenly. Like, I read it when I first moved to London because the guy I was staying with had a copy, and he's like, you like science fiction stuff. You'll enjoy this. And I read it at a time when I wasn't really enjoying my job in London, and I'd sort of be drink-reading at night. It was sort of blurry. And then I tried to pick it up again once I'd seen the film, and I'm like, eh. A vaguely so i don't actually remember it though. way <laughs> i don't remember No, it that,
0: that that's fine. fine we're talking about a movie today <laughs>
2: exactly um but a, from my uneven memory of it it is one of those cases where like for instance i can make the case that jurassic park the movie is better than the book even though i really really like the book and it's kind of the same here i'm like this is a this is such a good they've thought about it enough to turn a novel, to, to convey what the novel is about as a film and, const- and you have to do that differently. You have to yeah. shave some things off and bring other things in and leave stuff to like the little motifs and Easter eggs, like um, the different actors who play Louise's dad in pictures and so on. So they, they, they can get their message through filmically, which is the correct way of doing it rather than like telling a moving picture story of a book.
0: Yep. Before moving completely off actors, I just we haven't been to on start actors for like ten minutes. No, we haven't. haven't. That's fine. <laughs> I, I, well, I'm looking forward to actually moving on because they're they're all good here. But um, I, I will give that this Louise away is definitely like my favorite Halle Berry role ever. I think. Yeah, probably. <laughs> How how'd she strike you in this one, and in the future as well? So, you know, she's good there too. She's
1: very good in this, but other than this, I don't think I've seen the good Halle Berry films like I've Cat only Woman. seen like X-Men and Catwoman <laughs> okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> okay so that's an easy one for you then yeah <laughs> she doesn't talk about what happens when frogs get struck by lightning in this one so it's you know a step <laughs> which is still an
2: iconic aspect. line Yeah.
1: Oh, for the raw reasons
0: but iconic <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm definitely cooler with cooler uh, from womb to tomb uh, line which I don't think is in the book actually I think that is a movie line
2: <laughs> yeah it must be um, there's, yes, I think you might be right, and, and it's it's such a good spell. Anyway, we're hang on. Are we still on actors? You wanted to go somewhere else. <laughs> um,
1: well, I'm just kind of. If saying... there's anything left, you want to say on actors? Yes. I think
2: <laughs> No, I think I think it's. I wanted to address the masks, and 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 you guys brought up the bit that I, um, the um, the roles are deliberately chosen to kind of carry some themes through. Um, like love stories and so on. The roles are deliberately chosen. And for instance, like um, Six Smith playing the archivist, it's sort of the same thing. He kind of reads, um, he reads for Overshire and he also ends up being that one person that Sunmi conv- uh, um, uh, convinces. And that's such an excellent line again, like when he says, what if nobody believes you? And she says, somebody already does. And she did all of that to change the mind of one person. And that like the film just, the timing of some of those statements nails it perfectly nails why you have to come back to that louisa line of like you have to do whatever you can't not do
0: how well, about uh we go into a little bit of the design which also does have some metaphysical um consequences anyway <laughs> um getting back to the oh what's the name of the ship again the prophetess because yeah it's the ship mm-hmm. at the beginning it's the ship that um the yacht in 1972 is like parked next to
2: and yeah
0: that, that's pretty wild. That does take a few viewings for you would start noticing yeah. that. But yeah, just all these design elements because they made, what, six completely different movies, which is insane.
2: But also, so San Francisco's in it twice um, and and the Big Island's in it like twice and, and and Scotland's in it twice. So so in the book, William Ayers is in Belgium. So that's where um, Fro- six, Frobisher goes to William Ayers's house in on the continent, rather than in Scotland, and and so again, this is an example I think of place working better, where you you're allowed to have um, place as well as time becomes a component in the story.
0: So, as as a you know, as a Brit, how how did the uh, wacky comedy treat you? I, you know, it, was it was a fun little Like run. your New Year's Day or your, um, yeah. oh God, Love Actually sort of vibe.
1: <laughs> well, uh, yeah, we didn't mention the actors. I had no idea Hugh Grant was in this. Oh, yeah. This, and uh, he played a couple of like delightful shit. Oh, actors. yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When, people let, when, well, when directors let Hugh Grant or give Hugh Grant a really long leash, it always ends up going well. You know, like, because he can get to the right side of like really hamming it up. Like Denholm Cavendish, so Timothy Cavendish's brother, it's just perfection. I, I would watch a spin off show, a, a spin off movie about it. I thought that kind of like um, bizarre cruelty, because in many respects, that's the weakest story or the most farcical, um, the Timothy Cavendish one. Uh, because even in modern day Britain, which is quite tyrannical, you can't exactly do that with your. Um, with your indigent brother, um, but it's, that's sort of- I feel of not, like you,
1: can, a, you can treat the elderly pretty shitty though. Like, <laughs> it's not that far from the truth. <laughs> and that's
2: kind of, that, that is actually the point, right? Because mm-hmm. that's the, um, you need um, a farcical version of that same. So there's, there's like, a sh- there's a competition of ideologies in the film, um, which is to, like, there's the Hugh Grant one, which is the strong to eat, right? And and then there's the, our lives are not our own. And so you kind of get different versions of that um, the whole way through. And that's just a really good kind of like contemporary take on we absolutely ignore the elderly and sort of wait for their assets to pass on to us, which was a fun component of um, of the sort of heist scam, like the car that yeah. they stole. Was from a guy who was who was hoodwinked into thinking that his mother was dying, with him being cut out of the will. So it is very explicitly about that same kind of cruelty. About what sort of future are you birthing where you're ungrateful to to your um, ancestors or to your your parenthood? So whilst it is like a silly, cute story, um, and and kind of like the weakest. It's weird. It's weird of saying that like that's the least realistic of the six timelines. Um, mm-hmm but in some respects it is, but it's also kind of fun and has a happy ending for Timothy Cavendish anyway. Hmm.
0: Yeah, you know, in Japan, I live in a generational household. Uh, my wife's parents, we, we live with them. There, There's like a countryside house. There's even a place to detox if needed, or, you know, just uh, give, give each other a little space, but we don't have so many problems. On the other hand though, I'm an only child. So I do have family members that are getting a little older in the States and, you know, still functioning on their own at the moment. But yeah, you know, that's a conundrum for me. It's like, how do I respectfully, you know, deal with that when I need to deal with it?
1: I see, I've got a brother and sister, and I flew to the other side of the planet. So it's their problem when my parents killed.
2: <laughs> you know, um, I did that. Then I came back, um, but I'm still not like i have siblings who are closer so we'll see and also it's too cold i live in southern tasmania so it's too cold for old people down here um given that they live in subtropical or warm temperate northern new south wales so i'm like you're welcome to move down here might hurt the bones um That's how I get around it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I like a little cold. We we live in in Nagano. The winters are uh, somewhat cold, but you want to there's you know mountains all around. And if you want some real winter, you don't have to go far. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) Um, Moving a little bit into the future, uh, how how did this tickle your uh, speed racer
1: itch? So, um, the the section which most spoke to me was the Sun Me twenty one sixty one whatever it was section because that was such a spot on satire of our current system. Like that's the future Jeff Bezos wants. Yeah.
2: (laughs) It's more accurate now than it was when the film came out in 2012. Like even the names and the um, Orwellian newspeak we have to deal with in 2021 sounds like unanimity and, and and all that. it's, it's creepy.
1: Well, I'm just uh, dividing the world into consumers and servers.
2: Yeah. Like, I don't
1: think it's that it's more true. It's that we're more aware.
2: No, I think it's more true. I think I think we're, like, I think the newspeak is more explicit. And I think the um, tyrannical response to stepping outside prescribed behavior is creepier. But I, I also think, like, that was the most matrixy of it. Like, the actual action scenes in it, are in fact pretty good there's good there's some good um swashbuckling
1: it was the Uh, bit where he he took out all the cops from the van i was like oh yeah this is the matrix (laughs) (laughs) director they could do kung fu scenes (laughs) yeah i think that's what i wrote in my notes he knows kung fu (laughs) (laughs) even like with the floppy hair he even had a bit of a neo look to him yeah 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 but there was also um the start of that scene where showing their lives and it's just a bunch of naked women in slave collars. I was just, I was reminded, like I always am when I watch a Wachowski scenes, like at least one of these two is really into BDSM. Yeah. (laughs) Well, their first movie was Bound. (laughs) Yeah. There's always a BDSM nightclub in the Matrix films. Yeah.
0: Um, Now this isn't a, a BDSM club, but in Japan, and you know, I was, walking to your apartment walking by a few of these places you know they have the the hostess nice clubs in japan where they have like pictures of the girls and then their name they're like ah and like well in this world it's
1: just it's this it's the same girls at every place well that's what that's um i guess the reason they put that story in korea that's the japanese and korean idol groups right yeah so they create this idol group by akb48 so named because it has 48 girls who are basically identical more i know it has 48 (laughs) girls in each city (laughs) and like they're all basically the same cute girl who's vague of of a vague age so you can feel okay about liking her but she's still pretty young (laughs) they don't really care if they can sing and there was even a quote um one of them was giving a talk to some young girls like Don't worry about working hard to sing and dance. Your audience are old men and they find it cuter if you can't dance. (laughs) (laughs) But um,
0: yeah, I mean, it's very persuasive in, well, I'm sure Korean culture too, and Japanese culture. I mean, our students, if you get them to say they like any music other than J-pop or K-pop, that's an amazing day.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And the uh, far future is a little more, I guess, Mad Max. Uh, Yeah, I liked that right at the start of the film, I couldn't tell if that was the future or the past.
2: Yeah, this is the aionics of time and religion that I think is really good because it, it gives you that, um, there's almost something very Atlantean about it because it's the far future and we're experiencing it as what we consider tribal. But that kind of begs the question of, were there things before what we consider tribal, especially as it ends in the stars, right? Like I, I thought, the treatment of time uh, was really, really, yeah, uh, really, really competently delivered.
1: I almost wondered if they were going to give us a double twist and it actually would have been the past.
2: So it could still be, right? Like you can still kind of add on the end of it a kind of Battlestar Galactica thing where whilst that was on Earth, the the off-world colonies then end up following that comet elsewhere. That's sort of implied that the birthmark becomes an actual comet that yeah. the story carries on out there. So there could be subsequent like panspermian events. And, and that's what I mean. Like th- the universe propagates through cruelty and kindness being that core message, I think is excellent.
1: Although, Oh, speaking of the birthmark, I also think I really like that on Sunny it wasn't a birthmark. Oh I yeah. Scarf from removing the collar. Um, so that, again, is like, is that where it started and it goes back and forward?
2: It's so, a nice touch. yes, there's a couple of points. This is another there's a couple of points where I think the film does this better. Yeah. And the other one is that scene, um, the sort of dream scene with Smith and Frobisher, oh, especially where... The- yeah, 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 because it's like all boundaries are conventions. Separation is an illusion. My life extends beyond art so that the, it's called Cloud Atlas. So the, the formation of the sextet is one of those kind of like it's like putting a if space time is a trampoline, it's like putting a like a bowling ball on it, mm. the, um, the, the formation of the sextet is one of those forwards, backwards, everywhere in time moments in the same way, sort of some some me is. And that's, the film does that better. I think you realize you're, which is shamanically true. Like you'll you'll get cultures that have a better understanding of time than we do. um, Because we moronically, even though our own physics has disproved this, think it moves at at like an arrow, um, one damn thing after the other. But every other culture kind of has an awareness that you can be, you can be outside time that the past is some sort of, alive with which you can be in relation and and, and so on. And I, I, there are moments in it that allow for that kind of resonance. And that's a key one because that's one of the only scenes that isn't in the universe. Um, the rest of them are kind of in the universe. Mm. But there's this one scene where it's about resonance and the difference between music and noise. and And that's the transmission to... That's the, the archivist transmission in the 1936 storyline, right? Because um, Frobisher says that to Sixsmith in the same way Sunmi says it to the archivist. It's a transmission of like a true thing. Uh, I think it's, yeah, it's it's one of the kind of, it's the other core metaphysical statement in there rather, in addition to the from womb to tomb um, kind of like couplet of uh, Sunmi. That scene somehow makes me
0: think of Maybe it's the exuberance of it all, but it, it makes me think of the, uh, the Quicksilver scenes from the, the better X-Men movies, just to get back to... Well, yeah.
1: I guess it's just that there is literally slow motion exploding pottery in those scenes. I guess that's why but times, <laughs> But they just look so happy, just like yeah. uh, as Evan
0: Peters, uh, just, you know, <laughs> running around doing, like, stupid things. Since they're doing stupid things, right?
1: So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It looked very satisfying. It reminded me of... Uh, this is completely off-topic, but it's just a, an amusing scene I want to mention... Uh, in the TV show Brooklyn Nine-Nine, one of the guys is depressed. So he takes him and says, like, this is what I do when I'm upset. I smash plates on the floor. So he's like, oh, okay, I'll give it a go. And he manages to throw it so that it bounces off the floor and hits him in the nuts.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey, if, you, if you're going to smash plates, you need to know how to smash plates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's the thing there. Um, this thing, uh, uh, of course, Australia is well known for Dreamtime and, and the Aboriginal cultures. You're, you're
1: on Tasmania. Is it like a different story there?
2: Different stories in the story of the dream. How separate are
1: the cultures, I think, is what Matt's trying to ask in Weird English. um,
2: (laughs) There are some similarities. Uh, One of them is a kind of, so the, the, the word dreaming or dream time is actually an import or an agreement from Aboriginal English into English of like, here's how we can explain to you idiots something about how the cosmos works so Mm. it wasn't necessarily called that across different aspects of aboriginal australia but it's a really good example of how you can be um how time how the experience of time is is multi-dimensional and to be in so the dream time isn't the distant past it is the awareness that um the universe has a dreaming and is alive at this moment that includes you are in relation to ancestral time and and the moment and have obligations to the future and and cloud atlas cloud atlas is quite good at that frankly cloud atlas is quite good at if you want to explain the dreaming to someone like get them to watch cloud atlas and and explain back to you how time works in it and then you can have a discussion uh, about the dreaming but yeah um tasmania there, there are notions like it, but again, they're called different things. They're called um, jukupa, turnaround, um, different ideas for that same reality that we're in in, in relation to living time. It's, it's found across Aboriginal Australia.
1: Yeah.
0: so we, we've done quite a bit of uh, philosophical talking here but um actually luke i'll start the ball rolling with you well did, did you get one of your existential questions i know we blew your mind a few Reese goes, you had to do, a, like, Harold and Maude and Evangelion the same day.
1: <laughs> um, no, this actually... It was less... It was more comforting. Yeah. I think this this has a very positive philosophy, and it's one that does resonate with me. Because, um... So, of course, I'm going to compare it some way to The Matrix, and I love The Matrix as a film, but The Matrix is hugely deterministic, especially when you bring the sequels into it. Whereas... It was- this it film... also requires
2: a hero, right? Like this is why the comfort I think is because it's empowering. Yes, you, you get to the end of Cloud Atlas and and you can just birth the future by not being a dick. You can get up from the couch and do something nice. And, and you're in a universe where that, like if you sit with a philosophy of it, you're in a universe where that's true. Whereas if you are not Neo... Well, um, I, I was
1: about to say, like, if this film had caught on the way The Matrix did we'd live in a better world. Yeah. Because The Matrix convinced a generation of young men that, like, the world is bullshit and they are going to be the one. Whereas this film, I mean, I guess Sunmi has, like, an influence, but there isn't really a the one. Very no. small acts of kindness are just as important as a very big act of kindness. The, the protagonist the fact that there is, is really no right?
2: Main so character. Th- there isn't a main character. The, the main character is a birthmark. Mm. And that's important because, again, it's if everyone is doing this, every kindness and cruelty birthing a future from womb to tomb are bound to others. Then I think the the comfort is in that it's empowering. You go, wow, like, and you don't consciously appreciate that it's empowering. It's not like a Tony Robbins seminar. It's actually just I feel kind of good about the universe turning out all right in the long term. Mm. And. And also that you you feel invited to participate in that because there's a lot of despair at the moment around um, not even like what can we do, but where can we do something? And very much, and that's ideologically determined because if you are a materialist or if you believe in political intervention or so on, then you, you fall on these kind of dumb ideas like um, electionism and organizationalism, like, I don't know, let's march on Washington or whatever. And you miss the fact that literally every spiritual tradition on this planet, at least, will tell you that in fact, the world is only transformed on an individual basis. And that's, um, that's implicit in the sort of empowering comfort, I think, of Cloud Atlas.
1: Well, I've, um this year, one thing I've done, which has been hugely beneficial, is I've more or less quit social media. Same. And um, before, you feel like the only thing that's going to make a difference is if I can somehow change this whole world. Yeah. If I can, you know, walk into a lobby with a bunch of machine guns and somehow change everything. Yes. Now, I feel like if I just treat this person with kindness, and if I, when this person asks for help, I help them, I'm making little differences. And that's what, even taking out any completely philosophical aspect, As creatures, that's what our brains are designed to understand. Yeah. I think it's something like we can only remember 250 people. So if I can help those 250 people I can remember, that's what will make me feel good. I can't remember all 7 billion people and do a kindness for all of them.
2: But but you also don't know which one is going to be a nodal intervention. And so you have to keep doing all of them. So like Rosa Parks being a really good example, she was... She didn't know that that's what would happen um and that, as you say that wasn't getting a bunch of machine guns and keanu reeves and shooting up a lobby in slow motion that was sitting on a bus um and so that's in cloud atlas it gives you the time uh, uh, like outlines of like literally every cruelty and every kindness is in there and it's the secondary So there's the through line of the the birthmark, but it's actually the secondary characters, right? Like um, Joe, Joe Napier, who's the security guy working at the nuclear power plant. He only helps Louisa because of what her father did for him in Korea. So he's not necessarily in the kind of the sextet. He's not in those six stories, except that these six stories, the whole kind of point is that they are also in relation to every other story in the universe. And so you don't know, that's the beauty of it. It's because we have, we have a, um, unless you kind of drop into an animist right relation or any kind of, but basically animist right relation framework for these things, you're still trying to scale effectiveness. You're still kind of using it there where it's like, well, Helping, maybe I can help two hundred and fifty people. It's like, yeah, maybe, but like one might be it, you know. Um, you you don't actually know <laughs> how that's going to work, and and that's that's empowering. I think that it's you are you are always in play. You are always important. Um, you you are cosmic, and and your decisions are cosmic in significance. It's why it, it's yeah. That's why I like it. I think it's it's one of the best or most uh, competent sort of philosophical films I think I've seen. Hmm. Uh,
0: I, I, I think I've said several. You know, I'm responsible. I, I, I wear a mask at work I'm in stores, all that stuff. I don't like wearing them. But here's one thing. Um, you were just talking about when people help and you just jump into it. That's one thing where this masking has really helped because I still, you know, I'm trying to get past it, but I still have the instinctive when I'm suddenly asked to do something on the fly, like, oh, like a look of disgust on my face, and nobody sees it anymore. And <laughs> 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 it's nice because I mean, you know, I see, I, you know, I, I'm to the point where I see it, you know, I can look at my ego and see what's happening, and just like diffuse it instantly. But there is still a second where I know my, my wife will call me out at any time when it's like, oh, you made that face again, but. Now nobody sees it, so now it seems like I'm a, a chipper helper, I guess. That's nice. <laughs> so just, just plus one for something I, I don't like doing, but uh, one benefit, yes.
1: You've seen the face, yeah? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it, it does, it's not even just a face sometimes at work. It's like, oh, fine, if you're going to be a dick about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't hear that because it's <laughs> right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> On the converse, I was having, I was having ramen. Uh, we were having a ramen yesterday and they started putting up, have you just noticed in the past week, like the big plexiglass thing's coming up?
1: Uh, I like, a lot of the chain places already have those.
0: Yeah, okay. Just twice in the past week I've had lunch and I'm like, what, what? We're trying to talk?
1: <laughs> it was horrible. Oh, what, like between you and the person at your table? Yeah, I was like talking to someone at a prison or something. Oh yeah, I haven't had that. It's usually between at least no, no, two tables. No,
0: no, it's with the people you're dining with, so you like can barely have a conversation.
1: I oh, mean, oh, you've seen the mess i make eating ramen, so maybe that's for the person Someone splashed on the plexiglass.
2: That should be a curtain rather than perspex then, so you can hear but not see. Mm.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I don't want to watch you eat, man. <laughs> yeah. want a little telephone, it really would be like prison.
0: <laughs> How you're enjoying your food. Yeah, that'd be pretty hip. <laughs> Any other philosophical trips we want to um, get into on this? I mean, it's there's so much you can do. Um have a look at this.
2: No, um, I think I'd just say like if, for people who are listening to it, if you've seen this before and you don't remember it fondly, um give it another shot. Like there's nothing in this that is, I mean, this is a spoiler in some respects, but it's kind of a film that's difficult to spoil because it has, you, you sort of know, um, you, you kind of know all the endings uh, in in its own way. And it's, I was, I rewatched it last night, which is kind of a good time to do it. We did, we just finished up a series of ayahuasca ceremonies on the farm over the weekend. Cause it's Monday morning here, as it is there. Um, and so you're in that kind of post ayahuasca entheogen state and you can't really think and you're in this you're already in a sort of benefic sort of feel and so i re-watched it last night which was a really good thing to watch at the end of a weekend like that and every time i watch it i want it to end differently for six smith and frobisher anyway uh it, it has that kind of really good the way um uh what's his name the way romeo and juliet australian director i've actually had lunch with him can't remember his name oh did, did Rouge. Any name. Anyway, yeah. yeah that's it yeah and like his his ending of well his death scene for romeo and juliet is actually better than shakespeare's because um juliet wakes up whilst romeo is still alive and so it's it's there's a kind of like oh my god i can't believe this is what's happened. and it kind of boosts the horror in in a way there and whilst that isn't in play exactly in Cloud Atlas because of the way it's cut with the Scott Monument in Edinburgh and then just missing him in the bathtub shooting scene. You want it to end differently every time and you don't. And and that's really, that's quite potent filmmaking. So there's a a real bittersweet uh, component to it. Coming back to like, even if you know how it ends or you don't remember it fondly, this film, because of all that kind of stuff has really high rewatchability. You can rewatch it a bunch of times because it is so big and ornate and it doesn't necessarily like hinge on the ending. It's, it's literally a film about interrelationality through time. So it, it, it has a, it has a really, um it's really rewatchable, I guess.
0: Actually, it's interesting. Uh, you were talking about the main character being the birthmark in the through line of the film. And um, again, when I talked to my dad last week and I was mentioning doing cloud Atlas and he knows I'm a musical snob. I play lots of music. I play classical. I play rock, and he's like, "Well, what do you think of the theme?" And he was probably thinking, "Was saying, ah, oh, yeah, it wasn't as good as it's supposed to." I'm like, "Actually, it is as good as it's supposed Fantastic. to." That, that's the other, the other, yeah. you know, tragedy of Frobisher. If he could write that, what else was he going to write? You know, <laughs> and for me, that is actually the main character of the film. Like, I, I guess oh. some people are visual; they'll see the birthmark. For me, I hear the theme, and I'm like, "Oh, well, that's the." Main the birthmark
2: character. isn't the main character, but the birthmark is there so that you can realize that there isn't a main character mm. the center of gravity of the film is the cloud atlas sextet because cloud atlas to um to describe something indescribable cloud atlas and sextet six stories and uh, so absolutely like the main character is is a uh is a is a score but yeah and i think it's i think it's excellent right and i remember when it there would be some moments where if I get in a Cloud Atlas mood over the last decade or so, there's some really, really long like two-hour versions of it on YouTube. So if you're just kind of in like a uh, – in a mood for that kind of bittersweet melancholy, you can put it on either while you're doing something else or what have you. But it's actually – it's a good score. It, it, it is absolutely a match for, I think, what the film and presumably the book was trying to uh, convey.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't buy soundtracks very often, but that, that is one – I got. I think that was the one previous. That was
1: Tron Legacy, right? So, I mean, Tron, the movie Tron Legacy is just a dark punk music video, so that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Did you buy it as a nice vinyl? Which one? Uh, Cloud Atlas. No, because I already lived in Japan. I didn't have a Because I pintable. hope they've released it as a vinyl, and the case is oh, just with the, that. Oh, yeah, that, that would be show. pretty awesome. Yeah.
0: Except you have to pay, like, you know, 300 bucks for it. Oh, I'm sure. It's, it's yeah. so rare. There's only... Yeah, but the
1: sound is better. <laughs>
0: on your 78, right? I, I did have... I remember with my aunt and her friend about 15 years ago, where we did just sit down having a few drinks, and they just started playing, like, 45s all night, and that, that was fun.
2: <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like... Um, it's actually sometimes very difficult or can be clunkily delivered to, to say in a film that the soundtrack is a character because it's something that really wanky and amateurish directors will say. But that scene with Louisa in the record store, it's quite good because obviously they get Ben Wishaw to play mm. the clerk. So it's, it's literally Frobisher. It's the same actor. It comes back to that, that, they're playing the roles. So the guy who worked in the store who found it, who put it on and couldn't stop playing it, is one of those sort of resonances um, through time. But if that's a, I would argue a kind of elegant way of letting the audience know that like, know that the soundtrack is a character.
1: I like that you say uh, only amateur wanky directors. George Lucas famously said that the soundtrack is the force in the Star Wars yeah. films. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but fortunately, even George Lucas, and this is surprising in many respects. Didn't have a character walk on and say, "You know, this a soundtrack is a character." Um, <laughs> so it, it's actually like putting it in the film is clunky. Mm. Yeah, um, and, and it's a really difficult thing to deliver. But I think that's probably the best, uh, the best delivery of, of that message into a film. Mm
0: that's the i would say oh well, it's okay i guess that's the same with saying it's the force. i was going to say it's the it, it's the you know quantum vibration of of this of this cinematic universe this cinematic yeah. universe just being this single movie not like yeah, marvel yeah. but I mean, <laughs> you got yeah, me.
2: yeah yeah that's a good way of describing it yeah
0: um any final thoughts
1: anyone wants to throw out on this one
2: not necessarily
1: i don't have a thought to throw out i just want to point out there is a very big theme in this film that we're not really quip, equipped to discuss because this is a film made by two trans women about identity, about not necessarily being who people think you are. It's got almost every major actor has a seed in drag. Like yeah. there's definitely a big aspect to this film, which I don't feel equipped to comment on.
2: But I, I agree completely. And this comes back to, I think the criticisms of the costuming were misplaced. Because only trans women could have made this film, mm-hmm. and because it is and and it's uh, and it is as you say, something we can't be equipped to discuss with competence because if if we get it wrong, it's sort of saying that um, what I don't want to say is that outward appearance is a cosmetic, but what I do want to say is that there is and I, I actually think this is the case, but that um I think how we understand gender expression only works in a, in the context of a living cosmos and kind of gets shitty in a, in a materialist cosmos, which is why you end up with turfs and things here, arguing body parts and what have you, because it's, it's like a, it's not a trans film. It's an animus film made by trans women. So there's an, there's a trans inflection on like their understanding. is my understanding of their understanding of a living cosmos. So it's not a trans film. It's not a trans statement. it's how, and I, I get what you're smelling there, which is like, this feels like, or I experience it as um, like a, a trans-animist manifesto in many respects. Um, not all respects, but in some of them.
0: Hmm. There was a period where I think
1: one of the Wachowskis had already... Uh, this film. Is this the period it, when they were movie. the siblings? Yep. Yes, because um, I think Lana, Lana had, went first. That Lily had a Lily had him.
0: Okay. Yeah. So that also makes it interesting. I feel like in a way, maybe that's why they, were other people who make this film. They're, they're uh, yeah, this of obsessed with uh, making their lives sort of. Only
1: this... these two people at this mm-hmm. specific point in time could have made this film. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Which is
1: very fitting for this film's themes. Absolutely. <laughs> this, is,
2: this is a great place to end because it makes it, um, I can cheekily say it's a documentary because I kind of think it is. Mm. Uh, I think it is a form of documentary because I think it, it could only have happened at this time with these people describing a thing that I think is true, which is that the cosmos is is alive and a ra- and relational.
0: And one of the best things, there's at least 15 fantastic things about this film that we didn't get to. We could do this again and probably have a completely different conversation. Um, You know, most movies are like a linear line and th- this movie is kind of a sphere to
1: consider. <laughs> I think... So I've only watched this film currently one time, last night. And at the moment, I don't quite know how I feel about it because I don't feel like it had a strong ending. Um, the film, which obviously you would compare it to, is The Fountain. Yeah. And in The Fountain, the three timelines converge right at the end. Whereas in this film, that kind of happened in the centre of the film. Yeah. So by the time the film ended, all the, the six different stories had ended, but I don't feel like the the overall story had one strong ending, right? Well the But I think goes. that's that might be maybe I think that is deliberate. But I haven't had enough time with this film to understand what it was going for there. Oh, that's my phone.
0: Sorry. That's
2: that's that's that's, that's just put it over music.
1: there. Turn it off.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say that's keenly uh. observed because the ending is in the middle, mm. uh, and and one of the kind of takeaways is that ah, so um, if if the kind of message of the film is or, or the question it poses is how we birth our future, mm. then it can't end with, well, I'm back. Right.
1: Um, right,
2: right. It has to end with not ending. Mm. And, and, and there's a balance, there's literally a, a balance. If you're talking about the backwards and forwards and relationality of the future of putting the ending in the middle. Mm. Um, so that's keenly observed. And as you say, if you watch it again, um, you will you will think better of how the film finishes, if not ends. Cause it is like the first time around, it's like, oh, I don't know. I guess I was expecting one more sword fight or, you know, like there's, there's...
0: something, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. And the story obviously continues going in either direction as old Tom Hanks or Jack Reed is telling the story to all those kids one of those kids is going to be affected by the story and tell it to someone 50 years down the line and there's a whole another you know we can go to an octet now we,
1: and maybe, if you go backwards something influenced you and something influenced them right Correct. maybe the lawyer he's got his paper adam ewing
2: adam ewing and Tilly head to new york to to like begin or not begin but like help with abolitionism and so and and that um little kid who lives next door to louisa becomes a journalist He writes the book so it 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 all it does carry on um yeah
0: oh that is one funny totally funny thing that was in the book that is not in the movie that had uh timothy cavendish um he had the first louisa ray written by uh hillary v something he Mm. he started like oh i'm gonna go I'm going to go to New York and knock on her door to get and you know, it'll be a tour of romance. And, and the V stands for Vincent. It's a dude, yeah. <laughs> a very large dude. It turns out who wrote some, a uh, couple fantastic books, but <laughs> I thought that was fun. Um, I guess we're wrapping up. So Gordon, can you tell people uh, where you, you have many fires in the cooker and are uh, man, many very list, uh, interesting things to listen to. So can you tell us your uh, presence on the internet or such?
2: Sure, everything's at runesoup.com. So I have a, um, a weekly podcast and there's a like membership area for people who want to kind of do things like learn various um, magics like tarot and sidro magic and so on. Um, we have a weekly show called Fortune Fools where we're um, developing a Lenormand Oracle deck, but all of that stuff's at runesoup.com or you could find runesoup on YouTube. I don't really do the socials uh, myself anymore. There's some telegram groups, but yeah, runesoup.com if you're interested, you find, uh, find more there.
0: I'm a little creeped out to do a terror reading at the moment. I, uh, did a terror reading for, uh, our old co-worker and it was really bad and well you know who i'm talking about already and yeah it was his <laughs> life has been pretty bad since then. <laughs> it, it, unfortunately i was like oh shit i gave an accurate reading it seems <laughs> <laughs> at the time was like gee i i don't really know what i'm doing and
1: yeah oh well it, I, I think he, he's on the men
0: now. he's on the men now he's actually joining me uh thursday morning to cast it seems oh, unless awesome. he sleeps in so <laughs> uh luke can you do our thing? Because I already stuttered asking Gordon to do his thing.
1: Yeah. You can find this podcast on Twitter at MLSFS pod, or you can find it on Facebook, YouTube, Apple podcast, Spotify, just search Matt and Luke sci-fi sanctuary listeners. Please get in touch and let us know if Matt has forgotten to edit out the sound of his phone going off. No, it's going to stay in there. It's no, you it's- can't. People were talking, edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, we also do other podcasts. Matt has, um, oral hygiene where he talks about educational films and documentaries and whatever weird film he wants to talk about i have a pokemon podcast and a monster hunter podcast you can find all of our podcasts at patreon.com slash podcastio podcastius. i think i said that right last week okay
0: so uh again gordon very thank uh have to thank you a lot for coming in today uh this is definitely a good way to delve into this movie because i mean you could sit there and talk about design and dork on it that way but i'd much rather get under the hood and uh again look at the 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 real magic uh in, in work in the gears of this movie so i'm out trying now aren't i here you just do the you can remember the quote you just did the movie right
1: which quote
0: i don't know remember? our lives
2: are not our own from womb to tomb we are bound to others and by each crime and every kindness we birth our future
0: there he could say' outro today thank you <laughs> <laughs> in the pit, Muppets from space.